To me, there is nothing more important than my family's health and well-being. We all know the quality of the air in our home is important. But did you know indoor air quality can be up to 100 times dirtier than outdoor air? I've got to tell you about Puro Air. In 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, dander, and gases from the room. Puro Air uses a stronger filter called a HEPA-14 that filters pollutants at a microscopic level and is backed by scientists from Harvard and MIT. In laboratory studies, users saw noticeably cleaner air in just 30 minutes. When it comes to babies and children, there's nothing worse than dealing with a cranky baby or child who can't sleep because of congestion. Air purifiers can help reduce congestion and improve immune system function to fight those winter colds and flus. I use my Puro Air purifiers to clean the air in my home, especially in our bedrooms while we sleep. It has a quiet, relaxing hum and cleans the air from pet dander, allergens, viruses, dust, mold, odors, and contaminants. It has four levels, low, medium, high, and sleep and four different timer options so you can customize it to your home and your needs. Check out Puro Air at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. Puro Air is the only air filter that uses a HEPA-14 filter. That's getpuroair.com. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline. Your Village is the most comprehensive site for evidence-based parenting classes available on demand at yourvillageonline.com. Our 50 plus classes give parents the foundation, steps, and tools for creating strong, healthy relationships with their children, resulting in responsible, cooperative, happy, and successful children and families. My goal is to help parents support their children in finding and reaching their own unique potential. The podcast is a place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your village founder and your host, Erin Royer. Artist and entrepreneur Arielle St. White has reached audiences from more than 30 countries with her unique ideas. Founder of the sexual wellness company, My Little Yoni, Arielle partners with top OBGYNs to break down taboos and give parents and kids quality, body-positive education. Her 10-book Sex Ed series has been featured in Entrepreneur and is lauded by parents as a solution to making the talk easier and more approachable. And today, we will be talking about sexuality and sexual concepts in a frank and matter-of-fact manner. So we are here with Arielle St. White, and I'm so excited to have you on the show today to talk with the parents about body-positive messages for our children. So first thing I would love to know is, Tell me about your journey. Why, what was your catalyst for wanting to take this on, for helping parents approach this subject of sex and sexuality in a body-positive way with their children? Great question. And, and first of all, thank you, Erin, for inviting me on to have this conversation. And uh, in terms of the catalyst for, for taking this subject on, um, for a number of years, I was in the field of sexual wellness, working with adults with 
women and helping them reclaim uh, pleasure for themselves and really have re-education. <laughs> so most of us grew up with, um, with certain messages around sex and sexuality in our body. Uh, many adult women still struggle to experience pleasure, have a lot of shame or shutdown around their bodies. And so it was through working with adult women that, um, that I started thinking on, you know, how great would it be if we could just grow up with positive messages from the beginning and that we didn't have to go through this whole odyssey of, you know, trying to reclaim these pieces. What if we could just grow up feeling positive and whole and free of shame? So that was where the initial ideas came from. And then um, I created My Little Yoni and My Little Yoni is the world's first vagina superhero, more accurately, vulva superhero. And, um, it, you, and you'll see it if you, if you see photos or um, go to our website, you'll see what we're talking about. So it's this character that proudly and prominently has the symbol of the vulva right on her face and part of that is just to smash shame and say, hey, this is a delightful symbol and it's not scary. A lot of the times when the vulva is worked into art, and I, I love all of it, let me pause and say that, but oftentimes it's not for prime time. The symbol can be still be a little scary for people. And so my challenge with creating My Little Yoni was how to reclaim the symbol of the vulva and to put it out proudly and to put it out in a fun and accessible way, and also to put it out in a way that isn't even sexualized. So My Little Yoni is a character. She's just this fun, friendly character for the whole family, which that hasn't been done before. And so the idea of um, reclaiming the symbol of the vulva in a way that um, is not sexual, in a way that is appropriate to, to use it, you know, in, as a conversation starter for the whole family. It was from, it was that combination of things. Once my little Yoni already existed and um, my team and I were thinking, okay, who is already naturally gravitating towards a symbol? And it was parents, it was moms specifically. And moms, not only of girls, but moms of boys as well, who realized that, wow, this character just have, we have dolls and we also have smaller charms. Just having the symbol around the house makes my job as a parent easier because it's like this fun, friendly access point to conversation. So that's how it started. Um, and then from there, we got very focused on the sex education piece and specifically early sex education. And that's why earlier this year, we completed a 10 book series that goes through all the comprehensive sex ed topics. Um, yeah. That is great. And I, you said so many things in there that I wanna to touch on. So the message is growing up. Um, I definitely received a lot of those that, you know, sex is really not something we talk about. Um, I would get articles, like I would find articles beside my bed um, and it would have little scribbles on them. Like, let me know if you have questions. But there were certain messages behind that about, you know, it wasn't presented in person. It was like, oh, here. And I, the feeling I got was like, I really hope you don't have any questions. <laughs> and I don't know if that's what was meant, but it certainly felt that way. And it, so it just felt like it's something you don't really talk about. There was, you know, some shame around it. And my mom tended to be very open, at least, you know, in those days, more than most parents. And I still got a lot of these messages societally and from my family. 
about sex and sexuality and that it is kind of secret and you don't really talk about it very much. And, you know, there was no talk about pleasure or self-pleasure or anything like that for girls. And, um, and then the other thing, it just, I have three kids and two of them are in puberty and, you know, my son, my older son, it, he talks all about penises all day long. It's hilarious. He thinks it's funny. He'll talk about his body parts and boys are so open about this. It seems to be so easy for them. And yet, you know, girls just, we don't talk about our parts. And I, you know, part of me is like, well, is that really appropriate? Is it inappropriate? And it certainly isn't something that should be shaming, but at the same time, I'm like with my son, I don't quiet him down, but I'm like, okay, Carter, like <laughs> that's enough, but he thinks it's funny. So there's really, you know, no reason why they can't joke around about it, but it's still some of my own stuff coming up, probably my own discomfort around the subject matter where it's like, he just wants to talk about penises <laughs> all the time. <laughs> Yeah, and you're really landing on something um, in in our culture. That's one of the reasons why we we created the vulva superhero. And it doesn't mean penises aren't special or amazing; they are. But you're you're already you know I think pointing to something that's prevalent at, at least in our culture, which is we have so many proud, shining uh, phallic symbols: <laughs> skyscrapers, rockets, the tie. Know, yeah <laughs> right yes I never thought about that one and so it's like it, it already it already is like a proud symbol versus we don't have many symbols for the vulva and the vulva at least you know for the last few hundred years has been shrouded in more secrecy and shame and don't talk about it. And um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Peggy Ornstein's work, Girls and Sex. I highly recommend no. it. Okay. Um, and not just to girl parents, but all parents. I think it really cracks open um, a, a lot of what we're touching on right now. But um, in her research, and it gets down to language and, and how being able to name parts actually, you know, we can't underestimate the power power of language and being able to name parts actually can empower us to have our voice around our body to have our voice in terms of communicating not just our own pleasure but our boundaries everything like that and what she found in her research is that even in more open-minded families an interesting phenomena happens which is that um, parents of boys when they're doing early anatomy naming your body they'll, this is an example, they say, you know, here, here's your belly button, here's your penis, here's your knees. And with girls, it'll be something like, here are your shoulders, here's your belly button, here are your knees. They'll just skip over the vulva. And it's not a conscious choice because, you know, I mean, I, I actually haven't met a single parent who wants their kids to pay the consequences of not being prepared. And yet, you know, we're only working with what we have. And if that's the culture we grew up in, um, you know, that's kind of, it's very easy to pass that lack of information on. And so that's why for me, it very much is a compassionate approach. And the first step is really um, helping parents bring a bit more consciousness to the unconscious. Because right, if we don't do that, it's so easy to just pass on this stuff. Yeah, and and when you gloss over it, yeah. Yeah, and when you were sharing about your mom generationally, she was actually quite ahead. She was. Like, I mean, the fact that she was even giving you articles, I'm like, way to go, mom. 
<laughs> yeah. So let's talk about, because I think a lot of adults don't understand the difference between the term vulva and vagina. We tend to use the word vagina to mean the entire female, the, at least the, out, the outside labia, and, but the actual technical term is, is vulva, which I know is still okay to say vagina, but to get more technical and be more correct, you know, vulva is definitely the term. Yeah, that's right. So vulva includes all the external genitalia. And um, so we, we also even, so we're all about accurate anatomy. That's why our book series is doctor approved in addition to, you know, top sex educators and PhD psychologists, you know, and we also had mom reviewers on it. So yes, yeah, so accurate anatomy is so important. Um, we also love introducing the word yoni um, usually we say Yoni in relation to the character, you know, she's, she really is, she's the superhero walking everyone through this information. Um, but Yoni is a Sanskrit word. Um, so it's a very old word. And what I love about that word is that it encompasses not only the vulva, so the genitalia, but it also, um, relates to the womb. So it's everything. It's the womb it's the the vulva and it means sacred gateway oh nice and so even if that's not the term to refer to the anatomical parts knowing that word i think is powerful because just that concept of sacred gateway relating to the vulva relating to the room relating to women as a sacred gateway um, to life i think that's pretty amazing and it's very different from the latin meaning of the word vagina which is the latin meaning is sheath for a sword wow so, so it's accurate but that's kind of a bummer if you think about <laughs> culture you know and like just the violence associated with that word yes why do you think talking about sex and sexuality with kids is so difficult for most adults and we touched on this a little bit um but if you have more to add to yeah, I mean, I do think we touched on it a lot. Um, I think that a few things. Number one, most of us grow, grew up with our own misinformation or outright shaming, or in many instances, abuse or trauma. You know, there's just like, it's, it's, it's a subject that can be riddled with a lot of personal history or familial history. So that's one. And then our culture, it's very strange, at least in the U.S., um, on one hand, it's hypersexualized. You know, sexual imagery is used to market and sell everything. Yes. But in terms of truly integrated, grounded, empowered, educated sexuality, there's very little of it. So there's kind of, I think, a contradiction going on. And it's such a messy contradiction. And we're so busy, you know, living our lives and working and providing for our families. It, you know, it, it can be easy to just think, just to not think about it, you know, and I don't, I don't fault anyone for that. I get it, but it can, because it's uncomfortable, it can be easy to focus on things that seem more immediate in the moment. Um, and then I think another component of it is because sex ed is meant to happen in schools. I think a lot of parents just, they either don't think about it or they just assume school is going to handle it. And that's why, um, I always like sharing with parents just the true state of sex ed in the U.S. is 
abysmal. I think it's fair to say sex ed is broken it is. in the U.S. Yeah. So, for example, consent education is only required in seven states. And wow. I think consent's pretty important. It's very <laughs> important. to learn. Um, medically accurate sex ed's only required in 23 states. And, and it goes on and on. And I think that once parents hear those stats, generally a switch happens and they become a lot more motivated to, to get over whatever that discomfort is. Or maybe they're not even uncomfortable. They just didn't realize how important it is to start initiating these conversations inside the home directly with our own children. Yeah, very early. We will talk about talking to kids about sex by age and things to expect in different age ranges with Ariel St. White right after a word from our sponsors. Hey, Parenting Beyond Discipline listeners. Ready to create a home that fosters love, warmth, and style? Look no further than Home Threads, your partner in crafting a nurturing environment. At HomeThreads.com, explore a thoughtfully curated collection of furniture designed for families who believe in positive parenting. From cozy reading nooks to durable playroom essentials, our pieces are crafted to enhance your parenting journey. Home Threads has an incredible selection of furniture, decor, and accessories like throw pillows, blankets to snuggle under for family movie nights or reading time that helps you create the warm, cozy home that is the foundation for happy family memories. I love all the great pieces I've gotten from Home Threads to finish the look in my home. Gorgeous yet durable and cozy accent throw pillows, blankets, and some really cute wall decor. I have an ocean theme throughout my downstairs, so I got a couple of really great wall pieces to finish that look. And some picture frames for the family photos. Visit homethreads.com parenting today and get a code for 15% off your order. That's homethreads.com parenting to get your code for 15% off your order because great parenting deserves a great home. Home Threads, love where you live. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new-to-you styles. My favorite thing about Armoire is all the different style and occasion options from casual to athleisure to night out, work formal, work casual, a total of eight different occasions, three weather options, and 11 categories including accessories, outerwear, and blazers, just to name a few. With Armoire, you can always have something new to wear without the hassle and closet clutter. You know the feeling. You open your closet, it's full, but you have quite literally nothing to wear. You're bored with everything in there. Enter Armoire. Armoire allows you to rent high-quality designer clothes for every occasion. Whether you're planning your outfit for date night, packing for a conference, or in need of a gown for a black tie event, you will be the best-dressed person in the room. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off the first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash parenting. That's armoire.style. A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash parenting to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. Now that we're back after the break, we're going to get back to our interview with Arielle St. White. 
So let's talk about that, about um, sex education, uh, you know, starting early. What does that, at what age do you think parents should start having these conversations and what do those look like early on? And if some of this is using the books and the series, that's great too. Yeah, thank you. That's a great question. The, um, so our series, and this is recommended in comprehensive sex ed guidelines as well, is that you start with anatomy, accurate, fact-based anatomy. Um, and that starts, it starts really when kids are learning everything else. You know, if they're learning about trucks and automobiles and trees and the sun, they should learn about their body parts. And so that's ages three, you know, three onwards. And that's why the two uh, books in our series, we have one focused on male anatomy and one focused on female anatomy. And, um, and those start ages three plus. And then moving on from there developmentally, um, once you know your own body parts, it's good to learn. A, a lot of kids naturally and developmentally are already, they're just very curious about their bodies. That's like normal yes. and natural. And, and I'm sure you could speak to that as a mom. What did you notice with your kids? Um, well, you know, we always used the proper terms and always talked about what their body parts were. And, you know, they're very interested, especially boys more than my daughter, because their penis is external. It's just easy for them to find it. And they use it to pee, like they actually have to hold it or aim it. And so they're just more apt to touch themselves or, you know, pleasure themselves, even from an early age, because it's like, oh, this is kind of fun. This feels interesting. So you, know, you have those things going on from a very early age. And the message in our house was usually one of and it really didn't, um, it wasn't, I know some parents like their kids will like constantly be touching themselves, but for us, it was every on occasion, but it was, you know, it's, I know that feels good, but if you want to pleasure yourself, it's best to do that in private. So you're welcome to go in your room and they usually just stop and go play something else. Right. Yeah. So I think that how you, and I, I, I love hearing about how you approach this subject or these subjects with your kids, because it, completely falls in line with what's recommended. So I don't know if this was just your own intuitive um, common sense or if this was based on research you did, but it's totally in line. Well, I had and, in my master's degree, we had a class on human sexuality. So we did go pretty deeply into a lot of topics. Okay. That's great. Yeah. So the, the, the first layer is accurate anatomy. Um, another piece I think that is helpful for parents to um, to kind of, often it's a reshift in orientation or framework around the subject matter is that this isn't, this isn't the talk with a capital T, you know, like at some point we're going to sit down and have the talk. It's actually ideally a series of conversations that begins with accurate anatomy. And then as your kids develop, the conversation develops. So for example, um, our, we have a book focused on masturbation called What's the M Word? And we the recommended ages on that is five to eight. Um, because often kids, like you were saying with your sons, they're already curious or they're already touching themselves. Or I hear about girl parents where the girl's, you know, humping her teddy bear or yes. whatever. Like that's <laughs> very normal. And um, and I think that that piece of hey. You already, if you already know 
the names for your for your genitals. And now you're starting to discover that, hey, you know, touching your genitals can feel good. And that's perfectly normal and natural. But just like you were saying, Aaron, it's their, you know, private parts. So you want to do this in a private space and private, safe, clean, always wash your hands, you know, that kind of (laughs) stuff, like basic. And then also the other piece that's really important, and this starts feeding into consent, is that your body belongs to you. Your private parts belong to you, you know, so it's perfectly okay to explore your own body, see what feels good. Your body belongs to you. And that's really important. So we've talked about kind of the younger ages, ages three, five to eight. Let's talk a little bit about puberty. Once kids are starting to hit puberty, what are those talks starting to look like? I would say the whole way, but especially in puberty, um, you know, it's, it's good to introduce these subjects. That's also why we, we created these books and there's other wonderful books and researches out there where it doesn't you don't have to have the pressure as a parent to have all the answers figured out. You know, you don't have to magically have your master's in sex education. You know, there, there, there are resources and materials that you can learn alongside your kids. Um, you know, you can give them a book and have them read it and then discuss it together, you know, like unpack it together. Um, but the whole way, it's really great to let, it's a conversation. So it's not a one directional bombarding them with information. You know, it might be introducing a subject. If they ask questions, keep talking about it until your kids exhausted all the questions. You know, so so kids kind of guide the conversation is what I'm trying to say here. And this is the same, I mean, this happens at six. Some kids are way more curious and want to know more than others. But this is also true at 12 and 13. You know, it's like, you might initiate the conversation, but gauge your kid's comfort level. Because while you want to be open, you also don't want to have the experience of offloading so much information that they are tapped out and saying, ah, you know, this is embarrassing. Um, Now, it is interesting. I I don't know if you experienced this with your kids, but um, there can be a shift at a certain age. And even I saw this with my own son, he's 10 and he's grown up with my little Yoni around him his whole life. (laughs) And just in this past year, it's like, he's less willing to have conversations. Like he's a little more enculturated, a little more embarrassed. And so I've been, you know, I've been relating to that and respecting that at the same time, like rather than, um, forcing the conversation, I've asked him certain questions like, why do you think it is that it's totally normal? You know, why do you think it is that it's totally normal to play video games or like it's okay to shoot guns? And yet talking about pregnancy or babies being born is, you know, embarrassing. Why do you think that is? And he actually paused and he's like, yeah, like, you know, it got him thinking. So it's like, it got him thinking about why is it that something as natural as bodies or as natural as pregnancy or as natural as, you know, sex and conception? Why is that embarrassing where something like violence is okay? 
So I'm not giving him, I'm not trying to give him the answers, but I am trying to get him thinking about his own discomfort a little bit. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And I have that something very similar with my son who's 12. And I've been trying to introduce things since he was about nine, trying to talk a little bit about puberty. So he's prepared and he understands, you know, wet dreams and having um, hard-ons and those types of things. And he just, you know, I kept thinking, oh, he'll, you know, I'd try it. He wouldn't be interested. So I'm like, okay, I'll just respect his face. And then we try again. We talk about it a little bit. And he just, he's so squeamish about the whole thing. He just doesn't want to talk about it. And I've gotten enough that he'll be comfortable or he probably understands the changes in his body. But the other day we were playing a game. At, we were out to uh, out to lunch and he was pulling up something on his phone. And it's this thing like, guess the top 10 answers on Google for some question. And one of the answers to one of the questions was sex. And he gets to it and he goes, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say this one. And I was like, why, what is it? And he wouldn't say it. And I, my, my ex-husband looked at it and he goes, it's sex. And I was like, why is it that we're so uncomfortable just to say this word and we'll, you know, talk about it. And he's like, I don't know, but I'm not saying it. <laughs> you know? So it's, you know, we're in this space where we're trying to create space for it, trying to, but, you know, have conversations, but we're also getting to this age where there's certain conversations that really need to start to be had. We talk about consent. That's always a big one, even about, because he likes to talk about penises and make jokes. And we were very clear with him about, it's fun to joke around with your friends. It's fine to do it in the family, but you can't do this at school sitting at the lunch table because there could be some people sitting around you or behind you that aren't comfortable with that kind of talk. And so you want to be very vigilant about the way that you talk, depending on where you are. So even just something as simple as talking about your private parts around other people is might make them uncomfortable. And that's a consent issue. And we talk about that, but you know, there's, we need to start talking more about consent and you may start to kiss a girl in the next year or two, you know, and, and talking about what the female anatomy is and how it works. And, um, you know, let alone, you know, I can't even talk about the male anatomy, let alone the female anatomy. Right. Yes. And I'm curious, I mean, and this is where, um, you know, I, I appreciate that you started these conversations young. I also, for all the parents out there, it's never too late. I also want to say that. So yeah. So yes, if, if we were all in countries that really are ahead of the game and getting this topic right, um, you know, the education in the Netherlands and Sweden in general is, is ahead of the game. They start in, in schools, they're teaching anatomy and early sex education and kindergarten. And that's great. Right. But at least, um, at least here in the U S that's not how it is. So we, as parents have to do more heavy lifting. Um, and if you're brand new to this conversation, I just, I want to applaud all parents who are, um, learning how to take this on and whether your kids are three and you're starting with anatomy or your kids are already 14, I would say um, you, you showing up and initiating these conversations, even if your kids seem embarrassed or whatever, they're still going to remember that because what you're demonstrating when you start these conversations is that, hey, there's nothing to be ashamed. I'm in your corner. I'm on your team. You can trust me, right? Which Maybe they don't want to talk about it and your mom and it's embarrassing and whatever that is, 
but there's also another communication happening at a deeper level, which is, and it's establishing trust and knowing that, Hey, if something does happen, they know they can come to you. Yeah. And that's really important. So I would just say, um, luckily there's more resources coming out. Even a podcast like this is amazing. This wasn't happening 10 years ago. And I think talking to other parents is really helpful. And also just, we all have so much pressure on us as parents. I think it's good to just, you know, let yourself learn at the same time that your kids are and take the pressure off. You know, I think that's a really important thing. Yeah, that's a great message. So when I was trying to get pregnant, I started to learn about my own body and I found it really interesting and that, and it wasn't just me, but a lot of my peers, I connected with a group of women online that we're still friends today. We were all trying to get pregnant around the same time. And so we joined this group and we were all learning about how our bodies worked, about our monthly cycle. And this was something I had no clue other than I got a period every month. I didn't know anything about the switches in hormones and the changes in my fluid that would come during different parts of the month and ovulation and how I would know if I ovulated or not by taking my temperature or even just by looking at the fluid um, day to day that I began to know exactly when I was fertile. But this was all brand new to me. I'm like, why didn't I learn this? And we were all saying this to each other. Why didn't we learn this growing up? And one of the women in that group is actually a professor of psychology and she teaches a human sexuality class. And so she covers the whole gamut of of you know human sexuality in that class. But it's really interesting. And I was like, you know what, I don't want my daughter growing up and not knowing this information. So, you know, as she gets closer to having her period, once she starts having her period, we're gonna have these conversations about exactly the mechanics of her body and how they work. And she came to me uh just a couple of weeks ago and she noticed a change in her fluid. And she's like, why is it it was kind of stringy? And she's like, why is it doing this and she's not having her period yet but I'm like you know you could be getting a little closer to having your period and so you're going to start to notice these changes in your fluid throughout the month and this is totally normal and but she actually noticed I'm like I never would have noticed anything like that when I wasn't touching myself there was too much shame there was you know around all of it but she's comfortable with her body and noticing things that are just different than they were last week so I was like yes you know <laughs> yes and I, there's so much in what you just shared just in terms of I think so much of this is about and I do believe that all parents want this they we we want our parent we want our children to have a better time of it than we did <laughs> on all levels so ap- and, and absolutely that includes our body and sexuality and everything related to that so to hear that your daughter number one feels comfortable coming to you and talking to you and number two is noticing things that you wouldn't have and just you said I think she feels uh comfortable in her body and and I mean that's amazing that's such a celebration yes Uh, yeah yeah that we can have those conversations and that yeah she's very comfortable with her vulva and her vagina and has no problem talking about it and asking questions. She's very open about asking questions. So that one's easier. It's the, my older son. And I don't know how the younger one will be when he hits puberty, but you know. <laughs> yes. And, and with the, with the, with, with the older son, I'm um, 
I'm curious where your husband is with this conversation, if he or your ex-husband, if he'd have an easier time talking to him about it. Like, I wonder if you could upload. You I know, don't know. You know, he's, with info. he's very comfortable talking about sex, but it's interesting because Carter's actually more comfortable talking to me because I've always said, if you have questions, you know, you can come to me, you can go to your dad, your dad, if you're more comfortable with your dad, he's like, no, I'm more comfortable with you. And I'm like, great. Okay. Well, that's fine too. I'm like, I'm totally fine with it. But you know, as a male, he can probably answer more of your questions about what it feels like to be a male in puberty or what's going on with your body. But I'm always here and I'm always, I will always look things up if I don't know, but he's just not comfortable with anyone right now. So but I do want him to learn from us and not from, you know, amorphously from (laughs) hearing conversations in the lunchroom or seeing some video on a friend's phone or something. My my suspicion is that more is getting through to him than you, than he's letting on. It could be, you know, and especially that you're, that it, that, that it's, that it's an ongoing conversation and that you're not being discouraged. Right. And that you're finding different approaches. Yeah. Um, I think that's, I think there's a lot to be taken away from what you're sharing around that. You know, it's like, just because they seem embarrassed doesn't mean that you stop having the conversation entirely. Very true. Very good. And then one thing on the, the period conversation, because we, we, touched on a bit for girls I think it's really important for boys to learn about it too so we have a book um, it's called power of periods and it's it's for girls but we also have boy moms buying it for their sons because they're like hey we don't want this onus to just be on women and we don't want boys saying silly things when they're older like oh are you on your period (laughs) you know like like just I, I think we don't realize how offhand comments like that can have can sting, um, can be shaming without even necessarily yeah. meaning to be. So, you know, our, our, our male anatomy book, we want girls to learn about that. And our girl anatomy book, we want boys to learn about that. And power of periods, we want everyone to learn about that. And then we also have a book, Breaking the Binary, which we want everyone to learn about that too, for example. Like, in other words, I think there's so there's so much range of experience um obviously sexual orientation that starts coming on line a little bit later but there's no reason not to learn about a whole spectrum of experiences even if it's never going to be your experience that's part of education and it's also part of just being a more whole compassionate person Thank you so much for coming on and sharing all this information. Very, very important information for all of us parents, for kids, you know, whether they're toddlers or you've got tweens and teens going through puberty. These are really, really important conversations to be having all the way along. So Ariel, if you could tell everyone wh- where to find you and where to get the book series, where they can find that and anything else about that you'd like to tell the audience about your work and where to find it. Thank you, Erin. Yeah, so you can always follow along. We post a lot of free content and tips on our Instagram, which is at mylittleyoni. That's um, M-Y-L-I-T-T-L-E-Y-O-N-I. So that's our Instagram, mylittleyoni. And then mylittleyoni.com is where we sell the book series. 
and we're very focused on nonprofit activities. So every book series we sell, we donate a book and we're focused on um, getting this information out as freely and widely as possible to families all over the country. Great. And so the best place to find the books on your website? Yes. MyLittleYoni.com is where you can great. find all the books. Great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. This was great. Thank you so much for having me on. And um, yeah, I just, I love what you're doing and the community of parents you've built. And thank you for doing what you do. Yeah. Thank you. Next week, we will get back to answering parenting questions. If you have a question you'd like answered, send an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening and see you next week. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.